Good evening and welcome to Health Beat, the WDIY program done in conjunction with our friends from the Leonard Parker Poole Institute for Health. Tonight, we continue to explore the social determinants of health. Sitting in for my co-host Edward Meehan is Dr. Samantha Schock, the Director of Community Innovation and Evaluation for the Leonard Parker Poole Institute for Health. She's been with LVHN since 2015 prior to transitioning to the Institute in 2021. Welcome back, Dr. Sam. Good evening, Greg. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. On this evening's show, we're going to discuss the topic of holistic community development and how we effectively get to know our community throughout time. We're familiar with the Pool Institute for Health's role as a convening organization in Allentown. As we know, the Pool Institute is focused on place-based neighborhood development. But on this episode, we hear from a different community-focused organization from a different city and even a different state known as FCS. FCS is a holistic community development organization working in South Atlanta, Georgia. FCS is also a proud partner of the Leonard Parker Pool Institute for Health. We're pleased to be joined by FCS Director of the Lupton Center, Dr. Sean Duncan, and lead trainer and consultant, Mr. David Park, who's also a pastor. Fantastic. All right. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. Greg, it's good yeah. to be here. Yeah, yeah you thanks bet. Thanks for having us. Yeah, and I hear you just you recently just arrived in town. That's right. Got some good food and headed right over. All so. right. Sean and David, first of all, I'd just like to ask you, how did you get into this type of work and study? Accident is by accident, tripping and falling into it. Is that a, is that a, is that a fair answer? <laughs> sure, that's how a lot so of us get there. Actually, yes. <laughs> I'd love for it to be really, really intentional. No, just over time, I think well, I moved to Atlanta, where I live now, about 20 years ago. And the more I just opened my eyes to the city and the neighborhoods around me, mm-hmm. uh, the more it began to change me. And the more it began to create bigger questions on why things are the way that they are. And so just all of those questions led to a lot of relationships, one of which is, FCS or Focused Community Strategies, which is who I've been working with for the last 10 years. And so just through those big questions and those relationships to begin forming, how do we work with neighborhoods in a city like Atlanta to make real lasting change just led to an opportunity to partner with FCS and have been in that work ever since for the last 10 years. David, how'd you arrive at your position? Well, it's actually not too dissimilar from Sean. Actually, I met Sean Hmm. while doing ministry at a local church and I've been doing that for over a decade when I started to realize that to do congregational work, you have to realize you weren't making very much impact in the neighborhood. And I was like, how are we How are we trying to save marriages and build stronger families and help people out without actually impacting the neighborhood? And so as I started to really think about where does our money go, where does our charity go, and is it really helping, I started asking those bigger questions. And I realized we're coming up short uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the time. So the good that we think we're doing is not doing as much good. And I kind of I kind of realized that that bumper sticker that says, you know, random acts of kindness. And I started to really hate that bumper sticker <laughs> mm-hmm. because I was like, random acts of kindness is, is, is not really doing much collective good. And so when the opportunity came to work with FCS, I was like, maybe we can solve this problem and maybe at least make a different bumper sticker. Mm. Well, it sounds like a great idea. Sean, what does community or what does neighborhood engagement look like in holistic community development. Yeah, so I'm, uh, back up just to say a word about when we're talking about holistic community development, even at FCS, we'll even just say holistic neighborhood development, just in the sense that, uh, like with the Pool Institute, 
uh, that middle word of neighborhood or community is a way of saying this needs to be place-based. Community ends up being a really generic word. It can mean like people all like the same sport or something where it's the you know, fans around a certain team as a community of people. But we're trying to say, no, there are boundaries to a specific place uh, with a very specific history. And any interventions that we do should be tailored to the unique nature of that specific place that we can say, yes, across the, the metro region, there's a need for affordable housing. But the way we solve for that has got to be really driven by the scale of that community and the shape of that community. So when we're talking about holistic community development, first of all, it's deeply place-based. And to David's point around the, the bumper sticker of random acts of kindness, when we say the word development, we expect there to be real measurable change over time. I want people to be really compassionate, but our cities deserve more than compassion. They deserve change. The history of injustice and harm has, that's been done, development for us means this is going to be changed over time. And for the holistic piece for us, that's a way of saying I think when people see lower income neighborhoods, they view it like a puzzle. There's just missing pieces. And if you just put that piece in the in the gap, you'll fill in the picture. But we see neighborhoods as ecosystems where any intervention affects the whole thing. So when we talk about being holistic. We're talking about any intervention we make at a neighborhood level should consider the health of the entire ecosystem and its impact across all of that. So when we're in that field of work, what neighborhood engagement looks like is the belief that the most important currency to create change is not dollars, but trust. That literally, if you don't have, if you've not exchanged your currency to a trust currency, you can't operate at a neighborhood level. And so for us, neighborhood engagement is earning the right to make those developmental changes. Like even though we can say, yes, we know better education or better health care, better housing is needed just to do those top down from the outside. We have a long, long, long history of good intention, big, powerful efforts from the outside trying to improve neighborhoods that ended up damaging those neighborhoods because they didn't use the currency of trust. They use the currency of political power, the currency of actual currency, money, not trust. And so for us, neighborhood engagement is really about the framework of ensuring we're doing this from a, a level of the community's power and their future, their decisions, rather than kind of outside actors moving along. David, is it difficult to build the trust versus the currency the, to make, the tr make trust the currency? Yeah, I think so. I think we live in a pretty impatient sort of microwave society where we want results quickly. We want things to change quickly. But, you know, just like you wouldn't probably trust your doctor if they came in and didn't really do a full examination of you or even talk to you about how you your pain came to happen. If they just started treating you because they just have seen this case before, you probably wouldn't trust them. And they're, if their bedside manner was terrible, you probably wouldn't want to do anything they asked you to do anyway. So similarly, if you try to do that in a community, if you said, just like to Sean's point, if you just try to put puzzle pieces in and fill in the blanks, your neighbors, those residents may not want to actually work with you. And anything that you build, they probably may not use. Anything that you suggest, anybody you you know put into leadership without their consent, without their control, like anything for them without them is is potentially destructive and harmful and ultimately destroys civic trust. And what we're trying to do here is build civic trust, really empower neighbors. Uh, and I think in our politically divisive country, that's something that's really lacking is mm. building those relationships in a way that moves at the speed of trust so that when they build, it's sustainable, it's more impactful, and there's more, more ownership of the neighborhood. Well, you have a good partner with the Leonard Parker Poole Institute for Health. Yeah, they've been working on this trust for a long, long time. Dr. Mm -hmm. Sam, how do you see this working in Allentown and and in uh, what neighborhoods are you thinking about deployment? Yeah, so um, what we love about FCS model and what they are sharing with us is around that holistic piece and how do we look at the entire neighborhood. For us, health happens in place and in your neighborhood. 
And so in the same way of that community engagement piece really becomes central to that. And how do we put the community at the center so that the housing work and the education work and the work around creating healthy food access mm -hmm. is enhanced by those social connections and really makes any of that possible. And so Franklin Park is the first neighborhood that we are working in in, Frank in Allentown and really looking at how we bring all those pieces together. So our work with FCS has been around what, it, what are the ways in which we can build that social fabric here in the same way that they've been able to do in South Atlanta. Mm -hmm. uh, Sean and David, what do you see when you come to Allentown? What, what are your thoughts in the neighborhood that Dr. Shock is talking about? I see a lot of history, a lot of capacity, a lot of opportunity. I love the, even just the architecture of the neighborhoods, the way the housing works. I love that the neighborhoods that we've been around in aren't dominated by all just single family separate homes. I think there's something about the, just the, this, the shape of the way the neighborhoods are built and constructed, that there's a lot of storefronts kind of woven into households and living. And so to me, like the components of how you weave together holistic neighborhood development are a lot of the bones are there. And I think as those partnerships or relationships are being built, I just left very energized from our first visit, you know, a year and a half or more ago, eager to stay in this relationship for as long as possible to see those changes over time. It's different than Atlanta, isn't it? Yes, it is. Certainly, certainly so, yes. I'm not saying the problems or, or the issues, but certainly mm -hmm. the way the neighborhoods are laid out with the row mm -hmm. housing and then you'll have a bodega mm -hmm. in the middle of the row housing, which can be the central uh, meeting point of mm -hmm. communities. Yeah, I think those differences are, are very much a positive, very much a strength. There's a meme that's floating around about Atlanta that sh will show a picture of our traffic and it says we fool don't move here and it's not true atlanta has vast vast amounts of space that we could build residentially we are very sparsely populated city but we're so car dependent when people think about atlanta it feels full because the interstates are full but i think that what you the way your neighborhoods are shaped have actually better just infrastructure where you could really build something healthy in a, a really uh, unique way so, whether you're in atlanta or allentown or any other city across the country in the end, it's about how people are connecting with one another in that built environment. And so, although we live in very different places, the connections between how we go about doing this work and how you build that social cohesion are very similar. Mm -hmm. So, David, we're talking about the trust, and of course, that's the most important, but what happens next? Well, there needs to be a will and structures to meet by. There needs to be some rhythms and ways to connect. Right. And so one of the things, uh, as Sean was talking about what he's noticed in the neighborhoods and streets of Allentown, I've got to meet some of the people in, in my last couple of visits. And it just seems like there's a real openness and willingness to lean in, to work together, to mm -hmm. sort of fill in the gaps of what's missing and where people might be falling through. And what I've been really encouraged by is just the how big the table is and how many people have been invited to it. And so whether it's working with Ripple Church or Cohesion Network mm -hmm. and the Pool Institute and seeing other leaders that they've gathered from other nonprofit uh, spaces, it's just been really encouraging to see all of these people from you know the vast spectrum of what's in Allentown to be at the same table, talking and wishing and hoping for what we can do together to make Allentown stronger. So that's been really encouraging. I don't always see that. And I don't necessarily see that same table in, in Atlanta, mm -hmm. but here I've gotten to see a little, at least glimpses of it. And that's been so encouraging and exciting. 
Yeah, for us, it really is a process model that we advocate for. So when people visit us in historic South Atlanta, which anyone listening, please come for a visit, they see the the structure of our model, like what we've built, what we've created, and there's an eagerness to see those things in their neighborhood. And even though we're honored by that desire to maybe replicate, we're always advocating replicate our process, not right. the chosen interventions that we're doing. Uh, now, if there's an intervention we've done that would work in your neighborhood, hey, let's help you figure out how to do that. But we're more interested in in, the, in a healthy process, right, and not just kind of making massive decisions. And so for us, the the community engagement piece is really phase one of what we would say is like a phase four process. None of the rest of it works without that phase one of deep engagement. And it will cease to work once you stop engaging. Like I think because community engagement, you have like foundations, corporations, like everybody – if they're big enough, they probably have somebody on staff with that in their title or job description somewhere. And oftentimes it kind of feels very much like a check the box kind of thing. Like, hey, we went out, we got some surveys, we, we got the clipboards, people spoke in, they did outreach. Uh, okay, now we got input, let's just run with our plans. And for us, community engagement is not just the starting point. It is everything, right? And it's even the end of the game. Like, because the game is not just, oh, we engage people, we built stuff, now we don't need to engage them anymore. By the end of the development, that... that this neighborhood should be more connected than it was before. Right. So it really is from start to finish. Like this is what the, the work really is about. Well, I know this sounds kind of basic too, but it's almost like we as Americans have forgotten how to be neighbors mm-hmm. and how to be sort of uh, residents together. So I, I almost forget that as a citizen of this country, as a resident of a place, as a neighbor, that I have certain responsibilities that only I can fill. So like if my next door neighbor needs a cup of sugar, I mean, when's the last time you went and asked your neighbor for something? But these type of interdependencies and sort of built in sort of shared interests we have. So if a tr- if a tree falls in your neighbor's yard, or in your yard, you know, where did it come from and how should we handle this next time we have a heavy storm? Like these types of encounters shouldn't be so rare that it takes a crisis or a disaster for us to work together. We can start building that civic muscle today and should. So we know that it's going to be long work to be able to create a community where everyone feels they can thrive and that to improve housing and educational opportunities, it's going to take many, many years to get there. But that community engagement piece is the glue in between each of mm-hmm. the project, the you know the new opportunity that might present itself. Without that piece, there's nothing kind of keeping it all together. Mm-hmm. Our neighborhood engagement director will call that the, the is the connective tissue. If you think about it. the neighbor as a body system, this is the tissue that holds it all together. It's not a one-time project and done. It is it is everything. So, Doctor Sam, do you see holding meetings? How large are the meetings? Yes. So it starts with getting to know people, right? And that's what we have started within Franklin Park and partnering with our colleagues at Cohesion Network. We just started getting to know the neighbors in Franklin Park. And as we are building those relationships, we're 18 months in and we're just getting to the point where it feels like we're getting enough traction that there is a sense of community there, a sense of connection Mm -hmm. amongst people. You know, we will continue to grow that. That part is the piece that will create opportunities for the systems change to meet what the residents in that community want to see. We need to bring the two together, but it takes the the long sort of slow work in between there to get there. So Sean, how do you prioritize what you see or the responses that you get? Yeah, we are pretty committed to a an in-depth, slow, broad-based process of assessment and listening. We've actually identified over time a number of indicators that are um, consistent with what makes for a healthy neighborhood. So even though we do like 
just kind of word on the street conversations with neighbors or community meetings where it's kind of open-ended whiteboard brainstorming sessions. Uh, we really try to gear a lot of our conversations and feedback around, well, well, how do we have dialogue about proven indicators that make neighborhoods healthier? And like, and as we gather that feedback, we don't then go into a boardroom and say, hey, okay, we, we extracted the data from the neighborhood. Now let's, as the professionals, make those decisions. It is this iterative process to where we gather that information. We begin to try to make some initial sense out of it and then take it right back into neighborhood with civic leadership and say, hey, what? This is what we think we're hearing from the neighborhood. Is that accurate? Well, let's make those priorities. So when we talk about that four-phase process, if we're, we've done the community engagement piece, we move into the assessment piece. We're really beginning to understand, well, what are the opportunities and hopes and needs and ideas that exist here? But even when we've done some community engagement, some assessment, we still don't jump into getting things done yet. Like the That's next true. piece before doing things is alignment. Like is the neighborhood and the neighborhood partners, are we in alignment on what the top priorities are? So we, in many ways, we don't do the prioritization of it, right? We do a lot of listening, a lot of gathering. We do use our expertise as 45 plus years in community development to speak into it. We're not a distance third-party observer. This We are implicated by it. We're involved in it. But we, we carry that into the tables of the neighborhood and say, this is what we're hearing. This is what we think it might mean. How, do, how would you respond to that? And we just slowly do the work of, well, let's let's agree on some priorities. And if these are our priorities that we collectively align around, now let's start to build things, create things, launch things, fund things, all the stuff that people want to see. They want the, the the groundbreaking. They want the ribbon-cutting ceremonies. But I'm like, that's five years. At, like that, that stuff is just like – that's just icing on the cake mm -hmm. for those who are really in it day in and day out. There's so much more happening. Well, not that I would ever run a marathon, but <laughs> yeah. I would imagine you don't start by running a marathon. You probably start with 5Ks and 10Ks and whatever else runners do. I'm mm -hmm. not a runner, but I think that's the same way with communities, right? Uh, and I think that the interesting thing, uh, and it, it works for psychology as well as it does for sociology in terms of recognizing that just because you know someone or you think you know someone well, that doesn't mean communication stops. Like, oh, I, I know them. Like, no. You know, at, at least with my partner, like I talk more and I have to ask more questions. I have to listen more. And I think mm -hmm. that's the same way with community and neighborhoods. Just because you think you know what they want because they said it once doesn't mean that's the last time you ask. Doesn't mean it's the last meeting you have. You start to ask those questions all the time and you start to have more conversations and they're more friendly. And sometimes they don't always have to have sort of an agenda or a meeting or something formal. But mm -hmm. there is a sense where the relationship starts to gain traction and have those priorities that are sort of natural and easy. And as you move forward, you start to tackle on bigger problems and get to bigger solutions together. Sean, can you give me an example of, of something that you've identified in one of the neighborhoods where you're working, perhaps in Atlanta, where you've listened to the community and the result was what? How, how do you work? I mean, can you give me an example of a success? Yeah, I think for us, one of the things coming out of the pandemic, for example, we have a process in, in historic South Atlanta where every two to three years, we have a pretty structured community listening assessment process that we walk through. And one of the things that we saw post-pandemic that's one of the indicators of a healthy neighborhood is credible local leadership, that the neighborhood can identify who the leaders are at the neighborhood level, not elected, not like by some sort of position of power in an organization, but just local neighborhood leadership. So an indicator is that, that neighbors can point to who they are, that they feel heard by those leaders, that they trust that those leaders are not just pursuing their own agenda, but they're out for the good of the neighborhood. They feel connected to what those leaders are doing. They feel involved. Following the pandemic, our, our credible leadership score got lower than it probably ever has been. And so for us, that we had to sit down with local leaders and say, hey, what does this mean? And what we began to see is like, 
well, we've, we've not been able to be face to face in two mm. years with one another. And so this isn't just a matter of like, people don't like you anymore, but like really those rhythms and those rituals, those habits, those practices that were taking place monthly, quarterly, annually, these, these events, like those aren't just, Oh, it's fun to get together as a neighborhood. Like these are crucial mm -hmm. to the the health of the entire neighborhood. And so kind of began this awareness like, Oh, we've, we've got to double down and reinvesting in this like social civic infrastructure of ensuring that we maintain and rebuild a lot of these rhythms that we, we had lost. So that was one for us that in our own particular neighborhood that became a pretty big party in the last year. Whatever happened to the block party? Making a comeback. Are they? <laughs> Are they? Because I remember now, I'm, I'm talking, you know, 50 years ago, but every summer we'd have a block party in Detroit where I grew up mm. and they were fun. That's I, part of what we are seeing happen within Franklin Park. A lot of our partners and the groups that are uh, embedded in that neighborhood have been hosting a chunk or treat and a Thanksgiving celebration and a holiday celebration for years. And now added onto that are things like block parties and community meetings where people can just come out and be in the park and have fun because that's a way for people to connect with one another and get to know their neighbors better. That question about block parties is, is huge. So I, I was interviewing for our podcast, Place Matters. If anybody wants to listen to that one, <laughs> I was interviewing one of our board members at FCS who her family's been in, in historic South Atlanta for over 80 years. So long-term legacy family sure. for the neighborhood. Uh, and I'm asking her, like, talk to me about the changes you've seen over time in this neighborhood. Now, to be honest with you, what I was expecting was her remembering the era of decline and disinvestment versus the last 20 years where there's been a significant amount of investment in a positive way for change and development. So I thought that was going to be the arc of the story. But what she started talking about was as a kid – wasn't block parties necessarily, but what she began to describe was an era in neighborhoods in our country where there were more bodies in the streets than cars, right? The, the like the street was an extended part of the playground area for kids. Absolutely. Right? And so, and then, and like she, she described that versus now where there's less people out in the streets, less people out in their yards, more people in their cars, more people inside with their air conditioning and Netflix. And I was like, Oh, that was such a fascinating switch. I was, I was expecting a, one, a story of decline to improvement, but she was talking about a story of connectivity to disconnection, mm -hmm. even while the neighborhood housing, economics, education, the other big systems are actually improving over that period. But she was she was talking about a decline of connection. And I think the need to know one's neighbor and to be connected at a hyper local level, I think it's crucial to our health. This is a this is an interview about health, right? Our our physical, mental health and well-being, how long our lives last is connected to our connection to our places and people. But now we can kind of choose, like, I'm affiliated with people in 30 minutes on the other side of the city or some online virtual group I'm connected to. But, like, what does it mean to look across the street and know that family and to be known by them and to have that sense of connectivity? But I'm with you. I think that's a, that needs to have the comeback. It needs to be a part of what we expect. Doctor, do people need to be re-educated on how to connect with their neighbors? I wish that that weren't the case, but I think there is some of that, right? I think there's a piece of just being able to get to know people that we forget sometimes or that we stop realizing the importance of that. When we talk about social determinants of health, we think a lot about the health of the individuals. And I think what we're layering onto mm -hmm. that here is the health of a community. And that is made up of people knowing one another. And that social connection is equally as important as any of the other drivers that we know impact health over time. 
So some of it is getting back to basics and just reconnecting and creating neighborhoods where people know one another and there's a sense of connection. And from that becomes a place where we can see that sustainable change over time if we can really build that into the fabric of a neighborhood. Regardless of the community, that's important. Can anybody in our panel give us an icebreaker? I mean, a lot of people don't know how to talk to people. I've learned some of the best from Sean and David, so I will let them answer that. <laughs> I, I would, before David answers, I would say it's it's how our own consulting work has changed in the last few years is that we would we talk about our process model and our values, and one of them is obviously around proximity and neighboring and community engagement. And people are like, well, how? I'd be like, well, we just we just told you how. And they're like, no, 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 you just told me that we should. You didn't tell us how. Right. And it forced right. us to go, oh, wow, this has been, for 45 years, this has been a part of the water we've been swimming in at FCS. And so we, we've had to do the work of like step outside of ourselves and be like, well, how do you how this? Like from very rudimentary. But so, and David's been a great, leader in the charge on this for us to help people really get into the weeds. Of it's it. interesting to be called a leader in icebreakers, <laughs> but one fun exercise we've done with different communities as we've gotten together is make sure you find a partner and make up a handshake, you know, a little dance or whatever it is, fist bump combination that's just unique to that person and you. And then every time you greet them, you have your own special greeting. So we'll have you know, conference rooms full of people just making up these greetings. And then you'll keep, hey, everybody do your thing, find your partner, make sure you greet them that way. And then if you get with that room long enough, you can have them say like everybody that you know in this room, eventually you will have a special unique greeting with every person in that room. But that again, is just one fun way to make sure people know each other. I mean, the work of icebreaking or even neighboring is to be seen and to see others. And if we can start that, we can create communities of belonging where people feel safe and seen. And I think that's part of the part of the key building step to social cohesion and community care. So at the neighborhood level, I think asking for someone's help is probably one of the most profound ways where we tend to like. So we're all kind of in the nonprofit space of sorts. Mm -hmm. And like it's so the nonprofit mind tends to think, well, how do I help somebody else? And so I got a lot further in my neighborhood and connections to my neighbors when with them helping me or helping my kids or doing something for me versus the other way around right and so i think at some level like asking for that cup of sugar so our, our neighborhood engagement director pamela she's even be like i made up something i needed just so i can go next door to this people that moved in and be like hey do you have some eggs i like i just need a reason to ask yeah, for some it's all help. It takes. and even just saying like, how long have you been in the neighborhood like what brought you to be in this neighborhood like what do you, yeah. what do you like about it i mean it just and this and the stories that that come out of that whether they've been there for two weeks because of a job change or been there for 30 years like you know that, that and that every and every usually every street has like 12 different stories about why people are there and what they're experiencing and just yeah asking those questions just goes every once in a while people will give you the cold shoulder and not really care but i think vast majority of times people really want to talk about their themselves and their life in the neighborhood we only have a few minutes left tell us about your podcast and how can we listen so uh, we are currently wrapping up our third season of a podcast called Place Matters, uh, which can be found on Spotify, uh, Apple, Apple where, yeah. wherever you kind of listen. And it really is a it's it's a podcast focused on understanding how place based solutions is the is the lens we need to be using, whether it's poverty, racial inequity, this lack of social cohesion, all the things that we look at. I think as a culture, we've kind of lost the idea of how rooted all of those issues are on place, including our physical health, that the neighborhood you grow up in will have more to do with your life health outcomes than your genetic code. We tend to think it's your choices or your genetics that made your health what it is. 
and though those are involved, more than anything else, the data shows that the neighborhood somebody grows up in controls your health indicators more than anything else. And so we're so whether it's health or any other life outcome, we believe that place is what matters. Uh, and so we're really talking about how you do place based. Dr. Yeah. Shock, a, uh, as we conclude, a final thought. FCS is really one of the leaders around thinking about these tactical approaches to community engagement. We talk about it a lot. We know the importance of neighborhood engagement, but our partnership with them has really been on how do you get to know one another? How do you build that in? And so I think we have a lot more years of that to come and our next phase is around that assessment phase. And so we'll be using the tools that FCS has built to assess the neighborhoods here and then figure out how we prioritize and go forward together. All right. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Samantha Schock. David Park, Sean Duncan, it's been a pleasure having you on to talk about FCS and the work that you're going to be doing in Allentown. Good luck. I'd like to thank uh, everyone for joining us this evening on Health Beat. I'm your host, Greg Caponia. You're listening to WDIY 88.1 FM online at WDIY.org or on the WDIY app. Happy holidays and have a great evening. If you enjoyed this program, please go to the WDIY website or app to share or become a WDIY member.